0: Everyone, welcome to Joll of the Month Club. For this month's movie, we're talking all about Too Beautiful to Die from 1988. In the film, a group of models are invited to a party hosted by the owner of their modeling agency. During this get-together, one of the models is raped by a guest with the help of the other girls in her group. Soon, everyone involved in that gruesome evening begins being killed one by one. Too Beautiful to Die is a rare giallo that not only is a sequel, but it's also part of a trilogy. Today I am joined by a first-time guest to discuss horror sequels, forced trilogies, and everything in between. My guest is a writer and owner over at b and About Movies, the co-host of Drive in Asylum Double Feature, and a contributor to the Visual Vengeance line of shot on video Blu-rays. Welcome to the podcast. Sam Pannigal.
1: Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah. I feel like we have gotten to know each other through emails and social media, and yeah. it's been great, but I'm like, I got to have you on the podcast.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think the first time I wrote you, I sent you like a 15 page letter about something, and I was like, well, oh boy, that was really a lot.
0: <laughs> well, it's all I always put your suggestions on my watch list. So I'm always like, I have to watch those. Like, you know what you're talking yeah. about. You know, you're so knowledgeable, and I'm really, really happy to have you here.
1: I am an evangelist for this movie. This gets more people to watch this ridiculous movie than I've done my job. I think uh, Grindhouse Releasing said Amiable Pervert, which my mom was really proud about. So I guess that means I'm nice about like, cra- crappy movies. So I guess nice. that's good.
0: Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into diving into genre cinema and your love for genre cinema?
1: I've had like kind of... A love of genre cinema since I was a kid I, I'm a, a lot older than you uh, so, but I grew up in the UHF days of ghost Host, which was on in Baltimore and Pittsburgh and uh, chilly Billy here and we also got Cleveland channels so we got super host so my Saturdays were non-stop horror movies like they started at about 10 in the morning and ended at about 2 in the morning so as a kid like I just didn't leave the house I just watched movies read fangoria read famous monsters read comic books and then just got like kind of obsessed with them and uh my career has been in advertising so so much of what i love about advertising is based on horror movie posters the taglines and horror movie posters got me into advertising like uh, who will survive what will be left of them from texas chainsaw massacre is the i think the greatest tagline ever because why don't you have to see that movie at that point right yeah and uh the idea of like how posters are put together especially how movies are sold all over the world and then uh, just got excited about it. And I've just never stopped being into it just in the last six years. I decided, and I have like, you know, 10 or 15,000 DVDs. I should really do something instead of just watching these myself all the time. I should share these with other people. And, uh, Bill, who I do, Bill Van Ryn and who I do the show with, uh, driving asylum, double feature, does a zine called, uh, groovy doom, which is all about the advertising of movies. I write articles for that. And he's like, you should just do this more often. So that turned into me writing about five or six movies a day. I get obsessive about stuff.
0: Whoa, well, that's a lot. So I know that you have like, like 130 episodes on Facebook and YouTube, and your show features like crazy double features, and of course the newspaper ads. How do you pick the themed beverages, though?
1: I, I watch the movies a couple times, and then if there's something in the movies, like this week we're doing uh, Vice Squad, and the theme song that Wings Hauser seems is Ne- neon slime is the thing's theme song for it. So I'm like, well, okay, it needs to be like a neon green drink and it needs to have slime in it. So it has, I've been making a lot of drinks with egg whites, right? So uh, that's kind of how that came in. Uh, other times it just makes sense. Other times it's just like, I have no idea. Like this movie's really bad. And I don't, I'm not a believer in so bad it's good, but I just know that people might not enjoy this movie as much as I do. So you probably need a really strong drink. Like I really love Anthropophagus or however you say it. And uh, I'm really bad. Also, disclaimer for the entire show, uh, I can't pronounce anything. I'm, like, from Green Acres, like, a a really small one. Let's
0: avoid the Italian titles.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, like, uh, when The Grim Reaper, let's say, instead of Anthropophagus, like, I knew that there would be a lot of people who would be like, this movie's nuts and maybe too strange. So, it needed, like, a 12-shot drink.
0: Did you throw, like, a little baby into the drink?
1: I should have just put it, yeah, a rabbit instead of a baby. I wouldn't (laughs) tell people that it wasn't a rabbit (laughs) I love that I love George Eastman's like the patron saint of my website so
0: so how did the recurring double feature show come to be was it like did the advertisements trigger the double feature or how did it come about
1: Bill and I always used to text each other in the middle of the night and watch movies like via text with one another it's probably in the we've been friends for a long time and it's mostly been like in the last 10 years that we really started talking a lot about movies and he said one thing. he's like, you know, we should, it was right when the pandemic started. He goes, we can't go to the drive-in anymore. Because the drive-ins weren't open here yet. Yeah, Movie theaters weren't open. He's like, we should just like do what we do on the phone and just share it with people. And then let's just show one movie. And then one movie's never enough. You kind of need two. And then uh, it just started. And we're like, well, we'll do this for six weeks. And what it's been like, you know, like 130. And I guess this is the 135th episode this week. And like, I get a real joy out of not only sharing movies I love, but Weirdly, like I like when people don't like the movies that I like and get mad about them in a good way. Like you know, like where they're like, "How? Could, who would like this?" Like uh, I'm always think of. Video drum comes from Cronenberg watching Emmanuel in America or Emmanuel on the Cannibals, mm-hmm. and he said, "What human being would find this movie entertaining?" Um, what if there's a whole channel for these maniacs? And that's where Videodrum comes from, which is set in Pittsburgh. So I guess it was me. I guess I was yeah. You're that
0: movies. you're that maniac.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. I like it. Um, so I know you also have an extensive background in wrestling for yeah. 25 years, which is, <laughs> it's so funny. Again, because, you know, our friendship stemmed from Jallo movies. And then, of course, like a year later, I'm like, oh, you wrestled? I did not yeah. know that. I love wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I just had, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing with it. Like, I've uh, had some health issues, but I just had it. My last match was like two months ago. So it's not like I've been out for a while. But yeah, I've been doing it, like that. And advertising work like my dual paths, and especially in the '90s, like I was traveling all the time, and uh, I worked in Japan a bunch of times for WMF, which is like FMW, Frontier Martial Arts second promotion, like after Onida left and it went out of business. Yeah. And then I worked for DDT uh, for a show at Karakuen and Onru's Group Six Six Six. So I worked for these really small scummy indies. But those were like to me, that's better than WrestleMania. Like wrestling for these really small groups was like my dream and yeah. like getting to be on shows with, with like, you know, getting to walk through Karakou and, and uh, it was wild. Cause like, uh, I was talking to some of the guys, Dino and some of the guys from there. And I'm like, I've watched so many like big Japan matches from this building. And they're like, we're more excited about America. Like tell us about America. I'm like, eh, it's not that <laughs> exciting.
0: <laughs> well, DDT is kind of parroting WWE, like what they're doing. Did you get in like the full Lucha mask and all, oh, all, all of the yeah, ridiculousness? I,
1: I, I wear a corpse paint when I wrestle, yeah. I, I'm like a satanic nice. serial killer kind of character. I always have like an army of weirdos with me. I love it. And I started in Lucha, though. Yeah, I trained in Lucha originally. and Because uh, someone moved to Pittsburgh from L.A., they only knew Lucha. And they said, well, well, I'll train you. And then when they retired, I was like, oh, man, Like everything I know is backwards. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to wrestle American style <laughs> at all. So I had to relearn american style and then i trained with the uh, dory funk after that and kind of learned hey because i got like two you get two or three years in and you're like i don't even know how to tell a story at all Do you know what i mean i just <laughs> know how to go out and like get my ass kicked
0: me being a lover of japanese wrestling and i love the yeah. the women's japanese wrestling it's less about the storyline there and it's more about just like the hardcoreness of it and the yes. actual like athleticness of it and then also it's more comedic they really like lean into certain certain gimmicks like way more than America does, which is like that's why I love Japanese like wrestling. Starlight
1: Kid and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh! Like I couldn't believe like she did a heel turn and I'm like she embraced it. And I'm like what is going on? Like what is going on? I never yeah. would have thought like she was just like a I little cutie always, pie. It's
1: funny because for years I told people you should watch all Japan women's when they were still in business because like they were like twenty years ahead of the guys and now that Stardom... I guess stardom gives it a, a better package, especially for, mm-hmm. you know, the, the costumes are better and the, you know, the, the look of it's better. They have more, more money now. Um, but like Minami Toyota was like the greatest and like uh, Aja Kong and Bona is probably my favorite female wrestler ever. I get to see her first U.S. match. Uh, we, this is in the days before you could make shirts, right? Yeah. We like literally airbrushed shirts the night before and with her name in Japanese and she jumped out of the ring and hugged us. And I remember uh, Luna said, well, you can't do that. Like you're a heel. Like and she's like, but these guys like all showed up in <laughs> Japanese shirts. Like how would they know I was in Youngstown, Ohio for my first WWE match? And I'm like, we've been waiting for it. It was super exciting. So uh,
0: I love yeah. that. Well, and also Bull's known as being such, like, a tough lady. And it's funny just seeing her kind of, like, break a little bit for the, you know, for the fans. Recently, in Stardom, Tai did that. Like, there was a, there was, like, a kid dressed in, like, face paint. And then, of course, they broke because it was just too cute.
1: <laughs> it's crazy because now Bull looks, when you look at her now, she, you know, she did golf and, and you know, the celebrity kind of stuff. Um, she looks just like, she's attractive, but she looks like a normal Japanese woman in her late 40s in her 20s, she looked like an absolute maniac. Yeah, she was like a punk. Yeah, it's she the was... most punk rock ever. And yeah. like, uh, I I loved her look and how different she was. And like, in American wrestling, women's wrestling was just like, kind of like, almost like the minis matches, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was like, kind of sideshow-y, it was all hair-pulling. And and then she came in and did her series with Alondra Blaze, uh, Medusa, and like, it was like, wow, like this is, and even though those matches aren't as great as the one she had in Japan, you know, um it was like wow like this is like what everybody's been missing i was just talking to someone today like i started watching wrestling in 77 so we only do wwf style and when tiger Mask did his matches in madison square garden with Don my kid it was like i can't even explain what a difference it was of like this like uh shift it's like when you watch your first shallow right <laughs> Where you're like oh I, there's these movies and like seeing somebody who, that could be this acrobatic and move like this that's when we started by getting tapes from Japan, like in maybe like 81 or 82, my brother and I were trying to get tapes. And then later in the late 80s, early 90s, one of our friends that went to Pitt had a connection where he had gone to the same Japanese grocery store for 10 years. They would not teach teach him where the, the wrestling tapes were. <laughs> uh, and he had to learn kanji to learn where it was. And then after going there for years, he they would just tape whatever was on TV. So you'd get like maybe like, a new Japan and all Japan and then maybe a game show. And then maybe like news. So you just got these like six hour tapes and that's, and you had to wait, like when the dome happened, we waited three months to see it. And it's like, so that's, what's amazing now is like fans today are so they're so much more cynical now. And it's like, man, we were yeah. like feeding to get these. But remember when the first J Cup happened, we were dying to get a tape of it and like waiting forever and forever and forever. And you knew the results. Cause like there was like the nascent, like, uh, RSPW, the you know the the old like uh, whatever it was internet chat channels that you used to talk wrestling about and CompuServe and, and, <laughs> <laughs> and make, really making myself sound old. CS, I, I was,
0: had a I had a cs.com yeah. email address. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was like the big like when they did like chats. Like Nitro would have like CompuServe parties. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, We're so spoiled nowadays because you just wake up at 2 a.m. like I did a couple weeks ago and watch a pay-per-view until 7 a.m. <laughs> so it's like yeah. you watching immediately.
1: I, I really like that. I, I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. Is it like the girl with the short blonde hair, Juliana, is how you say her name? Julia? Julia, yeah. She's awesome.
0: I yeah, the Julia, like the Julia Tam match, the one that just happened yeah. at the, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first full matches that I had ever watched. And this was just two, three years ago was a hair versus hair between oh, yeah. Tam and Julia. And Julia shaved her head. And I was like, I am in love with both of these ladies. Um, and that was, God, yeah, that match that they just had was great. Julia's amazing. I mean, Tam is amazing. You would look at her and think like, Oh, she's not going to give her all. She's like this little tiny thing wearing like, tool skirts and sparkles and little rhinestones on right. her eyes, but she like will go out and like destroy you.
1: There's a really famous Minyama Toyota did a hair match with Toshi uh, Yamada and like the building where they ran it in didn't know that the finish was that Yamada was going to lose and the building like freaked out and we're like, they didn't want her to cut her hair. Do you know what I mean? Cause they got emotionally invested in the mm-hmm. match so much and at the end of the match, like even like Toyota's crying and she starts cutting her own hair while the girl's cutting her hair, and it's, like, the most emotional match ever. Yeah. And, like, man, like, that's what I love about wrestling is, like, it's all storytelling, right? Like, movies, Mm -hmm. advertising, all these things. But, like, wrestling to me is, like, the best drugs in the world because you get this immediate impact. And, like, the majority of your life, right, you spend your life trying to get people to like you, which is real hard. And you know, so you get like maybe like anxious and worried about that. But when you're a heel in wrestling, like it's like the Andy Kaufman thing your job is to make people hate you. Mm-hmm. And it's the best in the world. Like making people want to kill you is the best feeling. And uh, getting people riled up, like I love that. And then to be able to have some level of physicality and then also to watch this. Like I remember I was eight and I saw dynamite working and I said to my mom, like, I want to do that someday. And she's like, no, oh, whatever. You know, if you want, like, you know, not thinking that I would spend all these years doing it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Uh, I just, I always wanted to either be Dynamite or, like, Cactus or uh, Bruiser Brody. Because I watched, once I really got into stuff, once the Texas wrestling happened, seeing Brody and Abdul the Butcher fight all over a stadium. I was like, man, like, these guys are going to kill somebody. Like, And it's like yeah. this controlled chaos. Like, being in the eye of that hurricane is like, I can't even describe it. It's like the wildest feeling. It's so, so fun. I love
0: it. Yeah, every time I go to a wrestling event, the next weekend I'm like, "When's the next wrestling event?" I'm like jonesing. I'm like jonesing, and I will like lose my voice for because I just went to the um, New Japan Strong, New Japan Strong in DC uh, a few weeks ago, and I did not have a voice for two days afterwards. And then like like the day after, I was like, "When's the next? (laughs) When's the next one that I can go to?" My first
1: match I ever saw live was, and this again dates me a lot was uh, Bob Backlund defended the world title against Magnificent Morocco. And, you know, in the 70s, like, you didn't get to see big matches on TV, right? You only right. got to see squashes. So I had never seen anybody kick out of Don Morocco's finisher, and he was my favorite wrestler. I only liked bad guys since I was a little kid. And Bob Backlund got his foot on the ropes, and I screamed so loud, I was in third grade, I totally lost my voice for, like, six weeks. I had to go to speech therapy classes, and they gave me this special watch <laughs> I had to wear when I wanted to yell, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, uh, and then, of course, the next show I went to, I did
0: the same thing. Yeah. Again. I would always just get nuts at shows. And I never learned my, my lesson. Mom said I, no, my mom said I figured you'd grow out of it. But then you're like
1: in your like, early 20s and you were driving everywhere for indie shows. And then I, start tra- I started training when I was like 22. And she's like, oh, he's never going to go back. Like, he's always going to be into this. Yeah.
0: And- <laughs> yeah. Everything goes full circle. Like, you obviously stayed in it, but like, When I was younger, I was watching WWF and, you know, all the the Hogan's and Undertaker's and all all these guys. And then sort of as I grew up, I kind of like the horror world and wrestling sort of intertwined a little bit. So I kind of came back around to it. And then I, again, I just like realized like Japan's doing some hardcore stuff. And that's the stuff I really enjoy.
1: (laughs) I have some articles (laughs) on the site off to send you of like, uh, it's like horror movie characters that have crossed over into wrestling. Like there's a lot of the garbage promotions had Leatherface. uh uh there's a nightmare Freddy uh wrestled in japan tracy's Smothers was one of the uh nice. the jasons for a while which is awesome i would always ask him like what's it like to be jason he's like i don't know man this is stupid <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's, all stu- it's all stupid it's
0: all so stupid they, it's yeah, all like, this is stupid dumb.
1: why are they paying me all this money to be jason like yeah. you know I'm, people know who i am they know that it's me <laughs> okay. and i'm like yeah but it's so cool you get to be jason like and you know there's a really there's a really great jason from puerto rico uh that did a feud where they had like two different jasons feuding and then there was a michael myers character for a while you know there's monster who was a triple a character that was a uh what's his name? a child's play character it's really and, you know in japan there's a lot of obviously ringu based characters yeah. and onru looks like a zombie mm-hmm. he is my all-time favorite kid. if he came and stayed with me for a while like because uh, i would host japanese guys and, like, he looks like David Bowie, like, in real life. So it's wild. Like, you go to Target with him, and he's, like, wearing, like, a cape. And like it's, like, i like, let's chill. Like, it's it's cool. But his one big spot he would always do is he'd be in a submission, and when instead of getting the ropes, he had, like, a his hand would come off his body. He had, like, a fake hand, and his hand would be hanging off the ropes like a zombie. And that, that's how they would break it. And if you punched him, zombie dust would fly off him. It's one of my favorite characters ever. It's, that's amazing. Because, so, like, yeah, he just loved horror movies, and he was, like, Oh, I could never be a horror movie character, but I could be this wrestler that is a zombie,
0: and yeah. that's kind of
1: his inspiration.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's kind of like Dan Halzen. he's like, "Oh, I want to be a spooky little evil guy." And yeah, <laughs> now yeah. I'm just now I'm now I'm one Joe Bob, like uh, yeah, I'm a guest on Joe Bob. I
1: know. What, a, what my old tag partner used to team with him forever in Cleveland, and I, I'm always like, man, like you gotta you gotta jump on that. My my tag partner uh, Derek Derek Dillinger is his name. He wrestles for AIW. Uh, we teamed for like two or three years and then this company went of business. But his whole gimmick is we were the grindhouse and he's like the neon Tarantino is his nickname. So he wears big big glasses and he comes out with the director's clapboard. <laughs> and uh, everything we did, like we had movie trailers for all our matches and we would come out of the screen, like out of a movie trailer to uh, the music from Zombie, which is pretty cool. That's the beginning of it. Yeah,
0: that's amazing music.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it was cool because the building we were wrestling in was a movie, old movie theater that got converted into where we wrestled. So it was like, it was really cool to like imbue this like all everybody on the team was like a different. We had like a guy who was like a like a Haitian kind of zombie character. We had a girl who was kind of like the Exorcist kind of character. So we all were like different elements of horror. That's I don't amazing. Know what I was, I guess, I was like a '70s Last House on Dead End Street character. Nice. <laughs> Get really deep with the references so nobody gets <laughs> it. That's what I was doing.
0: Showing us, showing some wrestling fans, maybe they're, like, very, hmm, let me search, see who this guy is, or ask you who you are, and maybe they'll get into horror movies.
1: That's always my hope, you know. Has
0: there been anything that you've watched lately that has, like, blown you away, or that you've actually, like, hated, that you feel like everyone should avoid?
1: (laughs) I'm really opinionated about movies, so, um, uh, I really like this Really strange little movie. Um, not little, I guess, but it's like 45 minutes long. Delirium Magazine, which is like the full moon magazine, are producing movies. And there's one called Parasite Lady that they did. Ooh. And it looks like a Jean Renault movie. It's like 45 minutes long. And it's about like a female vampire stalking Niagara Falls for victims. And like, um, it's very, it's also very Jess Franco that like nothing really happens. And it's just, like, weird noises on the soundtrack. So it's another one of those movies, I think, if somebody came upon it. Like, I think of, like, Tubi as, like, a Mill Creek box set or, like, an old video store. There's normal people watching Tubi, not just us, right? That that will find these movies and be like, this was the shittiest movie I ever saw. But, like, for, like, a super, like, genre fan, it's not. You're like, this movie's awesome. It has, like, all these, like, wild references in it. I really dug that. Um, Top Line, which is coming out from Cauldron, it's a Franco Nero UFO movie. kind of and it's also if you combine ufos and romancing the stone and nothing happens for the first hour and 15 minutes and then like the last 15 minutes are out of control it's got like uh rodrigo overgone from all the andy sedaris movies plays a cyborg that fights a bull why the only other major thing that happens in the first hour is that george kennedy plays a nazi that chases Franco Nero all over the place but only for like three minutes it's like one of those telly sabalas roles right in an italian movie where like George Kennedy's in this. He's in it for three minutes. Yeah. And he's dubbed. Like, why would you hire him? I guess you dub everybody, but his voice is... Is Franco
0: Nero in the new... That Pope's Exorcism?
1: Yeah, he's the Pope in it, yeah. It's funny because, like... So my mom hates most genre movies. Famously, their first... My parents' first date was Bird with a Crystal Plumage, and they hated it. Like, so I think I've, like... (laughs) become a rebel in my whole life yeah. right but my mom was franco nero because he was in camelot so she only knows him from camelot
0: i mean he so has I, such an extensive filmography yeah he yeah. was
1: with Vanessa redgrave she knows that too right? okay
0: yeah she knows all the dirt um yeah. all the gossip
1: cauldron's putting out the wildest like uh blu-rays there's another one the last match was about a football team that uh fights a drug dealer and breaks people out of jail it's from the late 80s but it has Almost all the Miami Dolphins of that era, which this would never happen in football today. no. And it has someone uh, punt a grenade into a helicopter, which is...
0: What's that one called?
1: uh, The Last Battle.
0: I'm just, like, uh, writing all these movies down. Like, I have to watch all of these. I can't remember what the re-title of
1: Phantom of Death is that they have. But Phantom of Death is a Sergio Martino movie with Michael York as a character that gets uh, super aged. uh, And uh, Donald Pleasance is in it. He's pretty much playing Dr. Loomis. Uh, in it, like there's a scene where he just screams "bastard" while he's running <laughs> the streets, and uh, Edwidge Danticat is in it too. Uh, and it's the only movie that came out in the U.S. with her voice in it. She's not dubbed; it's really her voice, which is huh. pretty wild to to hear her accent. Yeah. Uh, and the other two, there's one movie that I was really excited to tell you about, uh, Morjana. It's it's coming out from Severn this year. It's a movie about a woman, two sisters. They're played by the same actress. One's evil and one's good. And it's very much like um, uh, it's Eastern European. It's very like folk horror-y. And, but the reason I wanted to tell you about it is most of the movie is shot from the point of view of the cat. So there's a lot of cat, cat yes. camera views in it. And there's a lot of super high fashion in it. It's really wild. But it's like I don't even know how to describe it if it's like folk horror or – man. Frog Nights is really good. That's a 60s uh, Black Sabbath uh, kind of not ripoff, but in the same world anthology. That company, Death Crocodile, that's, that put it out. Like they find stuff that I had no idea these movies existed. Yeah. Like a lot of like Polish movies, uh, Slovakian movies, and you're like, where are these movies coming from? Like that's what I I always worried that there was this like finite well of cool Italian stuff or cool Euro horror, and it's like, I'm 51 and it hasn't gone away yet, right? Yeah. It's still like still filling, and then the uh, the other last ones. That I saw were cool. I uh, did uh, Salem Horror Fest. Uh, Satan wants you. Did you see that yet?
0: Mm-mm, no, not yet.
1: Uh, it's about the Satanic Panic, which I lived through, and uh, I was actually counseled in school. They used to have a counselor meet with me once a week about my uh, <laughs> my Satanism. Uh, your black t shirt like, your d-
0: black t shirt collection. Yeah,
1: D <laughs> and I, you know, oh gosh, I knew I could quote Anthony all but I was, you know, I was sixteen, uh, and Heepy TV, which is another anthology, but it's really fun it's super wild. That's uh, awesome. And uh yeah, there's a lot of crazy good stuff coming out. Like uh I just am obsessed with finding new stuff and like as you can tell like you're telling people about it. Do
0: that's you cool. attend Chattanooga Film Festival or virtually like virtually I watching? it? Virtual, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a that's good one. Love.
1: that's my fa- that's my favorite one cuz it's so well put together oh. and the um I love how they have the Discord channel set up and like yeah. they're really easy about like hey, do you want to meet this director? I'm like yeah. Like, it's awesome. Uh, yeah. The only, I think that, and um, what's the one in Texas, the one that Almo does? Uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Fest. Fest. Yeah. yeah, I was
0: about to yeah. shout out Fantastic Fest. That's that's my fave. Yeah. Have you been watching, or do you watch Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs? Yeah. yeah. What did you think about the, the Mother's episode that just happened? The Baba Duke and the Mothers?
1: I don't like the Duke that much, but I don't hate it as much as, his fan base has gotten really super cynical somewhat, and really, like, complains a lot yeah and it's like then i don't like that and also this is weird it's like i love joe bob like there's there's a bunch of science stuff back here like he's my hero right i don't like it seems like there's this strain of anti-intellectualism that's been happening on the show this season and the season before where like he'll be telling something like i watched the show to hear him talk about Where Fritos come from, or like he can talk for four hours, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I and I like Darcy a lot too. I just don't like these moments where she's scoffing at his knowledge and like get to the movie and like, I've we've all seen these. Well, I say we, but the people that like you and I have seen these movies. Like we're watching this for him. Yeah. And I and I don't like that. But I when the Babadook was on, my wife said, "Let's watch it again." And I kind of tried to watch it, and I want. I can admit that it's a really well shot movie, but it's Mm -hmm. not my kind of movie.
0: Yeah, right. But that's
1: fine. Like, not every movie's for you. I really I love The Mothers, though, because I love uh, Filipino cinema and, like, that era of uh, New World stuff and, like, how – because it's all the same people from Blood Island. Like, a lot of the same people that made the Blood Island movies are all, you know – all kind of intermingling in the, this weird world but what did you think of it I'm so i
0: saw it was, it was crazy it was like two weeks back to back there were fantastic fest movies so i saw yeah. tires are not afraid i so i didn't see i've never saw don't panic which was from two weeks ago I um one, so. it was I, I enjoyed myself um and then Tigers are not afraid i'm like deep movie Jeez. a lot of symbolism i saw it at fantastic fest and i didn't haven't watched it since so it's been a couple years um, and then the Babadook, which I was very surprised because one, it, that was another Fantastic Fest movie, and mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like the type of movies that he has. I felt like it was like a little bit more highbrow, I guess. I like that movie. I think it's it's really well done. I think for what it is, like it's it's really really well done. And then my partner, who he had never seen it before, and I thought he was going to hate it because he has a six year old daughter, and yeah. you know, it's, there's some tough scenes in there for a parent. And but, but he was just like. That's how parenting is. He's like, you don't always love your child. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. So I was a little scared I'm, to show him I was that. Upset. Someone tweeted out
1: from one of the fan groups from it that boy, I don't know how we're going to get through this movie. We there's nothing to make fun of in Tigers are not afraid. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, let's just watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's yeah. enjoy this. Well, movie.
0: both, yeah. Tigers are not afraid, and then the Babadoo. Like, are they're both like tough kid movies? But yeah, the Babadook, I, I think is fantastic i really like it they don't watch it a lot because it's a tough movie to watch yeah. um and then the mothers i really very much enjoyed i never even heard of that movie and i yeah. know that it was just basically like oh it was a mother's day and he just picked it because of the title um yeah. which i like because i'm like sometimes i just when i pick movies i'm just like whatever just loosely picking a theme kind of
1: our guest uh, we have a guest that's on every once in a while uncle spooky's his name and he's a, a horror film host he does live horror movies on fire island uh, and he's a zombie and hosts these movies, and he has, like, dolls that come out with him, so he's awesome. Nice. But famously, he picked uh, Damnation Alley on our show, and it's the movie that, it's, like, literally the barometer, the movie, the only movie we've shown that people outright hated, like, every single person mm-hmm. hated it, and worse, he didn't show up for the show, because he had, like, he couldn't make it that night, so he picked the movie, and we already had it ready to run. Yeah,
0: and he couldn't, and he wasn't there to defend it?
1: Yeah, and, like, he's <laughs> not even here, and we he dropped this this stink bomb on us and it's the worst the child a lot of people didn't like the child and that's one of bill's favorite movies so that's a lot of fighting mm-hmm. about that but we showed Identicate, uh have you seen that the elizabeth taylor movie mm-hmm. uh it's also the driver's seat it's kind of like a liz taylor f Jalo, which is wild and andy andy warhol's in it it's on 2 B and shutter we showed that and uh footprints on the moon together which was super challenging I thought for our audience, because we usually it's hard. Like they did like eight shot movies at the drive-in last year. And I realized like a lot of these movies aren't made for the drive-in like because you have to really pay attention to the things that the inversions and the things that yeah. happen in them. Yeah. And like zombie is a great drive-in movie because you can walk away and not pay attention. Mm-hmm. But like four flies on gray velvet is not a good drive-in. Movie. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's too, and it just needs too much attention. And the drive-in is like, the overall experience and it's different so we kind of think through that as we, and i think the same thing about joe bob it's like sometimes it's like it's good he's there to guide you through it especially for some of those movies but like i've been really excited because he's shown a lot of like deep cut italian stuff this year and i'm really into mexican vhs era cinema so don't panic was great uh Grey robbers is great so like the more stuff like that he shows i'll be super excited
0: there's some weeks where i'm glad that it's a movie that i've already seen that way i can kind yeah. of like maybe not focus so much on the movie, but, like, I'm always like, Joe, I one. <laughs> like, we got to, yeah. like, spread his knowledge. I want to know what he has to say. <laughs> and that's what I love about him, where it's like, he's
1: gotten me to be more interested in certain movies, where even if I've seen it before, like you said, like, I, I want to hear his point of view on it, and his point of view on The Babadook did make me like it more than the first time I saw it. The first time yeah. I saw it, I was like, I don't know. I'm more into, like, 70s. Uh, yeah. It's funny, because, like, a movie like Let's Scare... Uh, Jessica to death is like, it's a a it's an A twenty four. It's you know it's the same as it's an elevator horror movie, but it was made in the seventies. Yeah. You know what I mean? These movies are very similar, and it's like, but then I don't want to be one of those old people. It's like, well, in my day, we sat at the drive-in and we watched it. And we liked it, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to embrace uh, newer movies too. It's sometimes hard because <laughs> like, it feels like sometimes newer horror doesn't always stick the landing. Yeah. Like it has a really great idea, and then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, that was the end. Like, cool. Like, I wasn't, you know, yeah. I wanted a little more.
0: Well, I think also you you have such a vast vast knowledge of horror movies, so sometimes it's hard to surprise you with new stuff, but when it does surprise you, it's probably, like, such a good feeling.
1: Yeah, like, I love getting knocked out by movies. Like, when I see something, I'm like, man, that's that's awesome. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, Or, like, somebody's, like, referring to something really wild. Um, I really love that.
0: Yeah. I am not super into the Evil Dead movies. I never really have been. But I saw the e- Evil Dead rise recently, and that's just a gory, just mindless movie, and I had so much fun. It was such a good crowd experience, because everyone, I feel like I was sitting next to a bunch of non-horror fans, so they were, like, yeah. really freaked out by it. So, and I hadn't had that experience in so long, because, you know, with COVID, movie theaters were shut down, and then not a lot of, not a lot of stuff has had really been coming out that was, like, super gory. Yeah. So that was fun. That was surprising.
1: My favorite experience at the drive-in was, they did a whole Fulci night, uh, and, uh, the scene with the eyeball scene and zombie. Someone literally opened their door up and threw out. And I was like, "You weren't ready for that? Like this movie is like forty years old." Like, and and meanwhile, my wife and I are reading dumplings in the car. She, yeah, like, maybe we've seen too many horror. Well, it's
0: pieces. like you look like Folchi up in the dictionary, and there's like an eyeball scene. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. <laughs> you sort as of. As yeah. you said the, the eyes have seen too really much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Seriously, yeah.
0: this episode will contain spoilers. You can watch Too Beautiful to Die on Tubi for free. We love Tubi. Yeah, I have not watched any of like the to be made stuff.
1: Oh boy, I watched. I have a whole list of them because you get a ton of hits on your site. Because nobody reviews them, um, so I've been watching them. There's a couple really good ones, and there's a couple. Spider One, Rob Zombie's brother made one, and you're like, could Rob Zombie's brother make a movie with his girlfriend? And it's a Rob Zombie movie. Yes, he could.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not his wife, though. No, but his fiance. <laughs>
1: so yeah, he's not yet. He's like a step removed from
0: Rob (laughs) Zombie. And this is your trigger warning. There is a very violent slow motion extended rape scene at the beginning of Too Beautiful to Die. So if you are sensitive to that whatsoever, either fast forward 10 minutes in, there's like the five minute opening and then like a five minute slow mo scene. Um, So maybe like 10 minutes in um, or just skip this all together and just listen to the episode.
1: I was really worried about that, because like, so I've been listening to the Video Archives podcast that Tarantino does, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, he has a lot of movies with rape in it. And then, of course, the movie that I picked to do on <laughs> your show starts with one, so I apologize. Um, I
0: mean, it's a 1988 yeah. Italian thriller, so yeah. I don't know. I feel like 88 and earlier and Giallo, I don't know. It's a, it's a dice roll.
1: Yeah, you know <laughs> what you're getting into, I guess.
0: Yeah, um, and this one is directed by Dario Piana. You know I love a Dario. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um in the movie a music video director is working on his latest masterpiece entitled blade and he wants a group of models to wear leather clad s&m outfits and wave around dangerously sharp daggers things take a very sleazy gross turn when the shooting finishes for the day and the model the modeling agent sets up a sex party for a perverted old businessman when the promising young star of that music video resists the advances of the old man, she is savagely raped and her lifeless body is found the next morning. The murdered model is replaced by a new talent and the video shoot continues even as someone starts a violent revenge campaign killing everyone involved with the sex party.
1: This movie is basically Blood and Black Lace. I was thinking about it, like, what's the first shallow, which is always like, mm. It's either, you know, Evil Eye, a.k.a. The, the Girl Who Knew Too Much, or Blood and Black Lace. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're, like, I've listened to a lot of people talk about this, and it's, like, this is a female fashion models in, in peril movie, right? Yeah. But isn't that 90% of Jala? Like, do we need, like, another title? But I like that we have to, like, further stratify this movie into it, but it is...
0: yeah. It's, it's like a model, theater. a model, or an actor, or a writer, or yeah. <laughs> like something in that realm. Um, yeah. The film was also known as "They Only Come Out at Night," which I'm not really uh, sure why, because they don't only come out at night; they come out whenever. So maybe
1: they were taking the line from Maniac by <laughs> Oates. Like, because it's totally it's, this is the most '80s of all '80s Jalo, I think.
0: Yeah, it's super '80s, and it does contain such Jalo elements as the theme of fashion. Clothes Killer with Black Gloves, A Liberal Dose of Sex and Nudity, Creepy Phone Calls, A Man with a God Complex, which I have been seeing a lot lately, um, <laughs> and there's a Cat Jump Scare. Yeah. I think I, the
1: amazing thing about it is, is like is we're right at the line here between when movies would stop being Jalo and become erotic thrillers. Like, 80, 88 to 90, Like once <clears throat> Basic Instinct comes out in Fatal Attraction, they're the same. They're Jalo. Right, yeah. but, but they're like well these are erotic thrillers and that allowed all these Italian directors like Joe D'Amato and Bruno Mattei to be like oh well, I'm going to start making these and get these into American video stores but they're just making yeah. the same movies.
0: More Red Herrings and Giallo unless yeah. you know who it is in erotic thrillers maybe?
1: I, I always think too it's like whatever the focus is like a slasher the focus is on the kills versus like a Giallo the focus is on who the killer is mm-hmm. and then erotic thrillers it's Who's sleeping with who? Yeah. With, with, kill, with kills in it. So, like, I guess that's a nonsense.
0: But they're so intertwined. About. Like, oh, it's an Italian erotic thriller. It's Jalo, also. <laughs> like, yeah. It depends I, what country. Don't, God, don't get me started. There's so many groups I belong to online
1: where it's like, oh, of course the spirit is a Jalo. And, like, and then it starts this whole fight. And I'm like, God, this has been going on for 40 years. Like, let's just drop it. Like, who cares what it is? I don't care. If that's what you want it to be, then that's what it is. Speaking of Dario, though, like, I thought. The first movie in this, uh, nothing underneath. They really went out of their way to hire people that worked with Argento, hmm. so they look very Argento. This movie feels like a Brian De Palma movie more than an Argento movie, for sure. It's it, there's yeah. a lot of dress to kill in it. With how many how many spoilers do we want to give? The killer itself. We do all. We
0: can just complete oh. I mean, we did a spoiler warning, so we could just completely spoil.
1: The idea that the killer is a man wearing a woman's face and, and uh, like a trench coat kind of thing. It's dressed to kill. It's also a lot of body double is yeah. in this, too. The look yeah. of it is body double. And uh, it's wild because, like, the director said that they were looking for somebody that was an American-style director. And all the mm-hmm. names he gave were British guys. Like, it was like Tony Scott, Wrigley Scott, um, the guy who did Angel of Heart. He's like, you know, these are the people that, that, that we want this to look like. And... He's like, you know, American. I'm like, none of these people are American.
0: They're I'm not. American. <laughs> yeah,
1: he's they really wanted to look like Adrian Lin, which makes sense because so much of this movie is also flash dance. There's a lot of flash dance to it and a lot of nine and a half weeks, especially the theme song sounds exactly like Slave to Love by Brian Ferry, that sax that plays mm-hmm, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, Adrian Lin, I think we could almost say he's a shallow director. Like, uh, Fatal Attractions, Close. There's a lot of nine and a half weeks. It's like, if, if there were murders in nine and a half weeks, it would be. It's a horrible guy. Like Ivan off could play Mickey Works character, right? Like, yeah. He is a horrible guy in this relationship, but this is a story about my wife, but my wife painted Mickey Works from that movie when she was in third grade, uh, is her class painting. And like like you were nine and a half years old when you painted that. Like there was nobody like watching you at home. And she said basically that yeah, they just let her rent whatever she wanted to rent. Yeah.
0: None of us. None of us on on this call in either of our households. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No but, parental supervision. <laughs>
1: no. Like, my mom was like, oh, you guys can rent uh, Bloodsucking Freaks again. You seem to really like that. <laughs> Never came in the room to watch it. Like, you know, a horrifying movie. I think the thing that's really interesting about this movie is even the start of it, the beginning is the most chill beginning to a Jawa I've ever seen. It's like, just like all sacks and pretty. And uh, I learned from the commentary track on the Vinegar Syndrome release that's a studio sixty five couch that was designed by Salvador Dali, the Lips couch. Whoa. And it's called the May West Lips Sofa. And it's based on how he saw Hollywood, which makes a lot of sense here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and then I really love that Nine and a Half Weeks is also a huge movie in Italy Like maybe even bigger than here. Joe D'Amato made uh seven rip offs of it. Eleven Days, Eleven Nights, which is longer than Nine and a Half Weeks is mm-hmm. close to, you know, <laughs> eleven days, eleven nights. So uh he made tons of them, and they're all very close. Um, the Slave of Love song, one, and then two, the other reason I say this is so 80s, is it's very Robert Palmer videos, like uh, with the masks and all mm-hmm. the models in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They also went just like a Patrick Nagel painting, and if you grew up in the 80s, like Patrick Nagel was everywhere. He was on the Duran Duran covers. If you went to a hair salon, probably even today, there's a 90% chance you're going to see a Patrick Nagel-like hair, like a picture of a, a porcelain woman with like her hair up. Yeah, Yeah, that was like the look of the
0: 80s. I'm not like super familiar with this music video, but I read that it's the look of the killer is very similar to, oh gosh, I can't think of what the music video is offhand. It was a lady, a lady singer. God, right? I love the
1: music in this because um, the first music video is uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. It's from their Liverpool album, the album after, the one everybody knows, right? But um, Warriors of the Wasteland is the song, which is also an Italian movie, Um, but It's a great song. It's called Blades in the movie, but it's really Warriors of the Wasteland. I got to tell you, like, Dario Piana can light a set like nobody else. Like, that music video set looks amazing. Like, today that would all be CGI or it would be a green screen set behind them. Like, all that stuff exists. Yeah. Like, the water and the costumes. He designed the costumes, too.
0: Oh, that's Um, awesome.
1: He was a comic book artist before he got into advertising. And, like, on the Blu-ray, they have illustrations of the costumes. It's very Mad Max. It's very... Yeah, every other post-apocalyptic movie that was coming out, but it's like wow. He designed the knives too for the movie, and he said every single person who picked them up got cut on them. Ooh. They made them way too dangerous. He said, yeah. like they were <laughs> way way too too sharp. Um,
0: I also enjoyed the music as far as like fitting fitting the mood of the film and you know the period of the film, and then you have like yeah. to like a song by like Toto and like Huey Lewis and the News, which is so <laughs> t- it's like so. I don't know. Like it fits well in that movie, but then there's also like kind of like a psycho inspired, like score going, going out yeah. throughout it.
1: the 80s are a weird time for Italian cinema. Cause if you think like phenomena has like a ton of like real music, not yeah. soundtrack music in it, it's got like Iron Maiden and mm-hmm. like, Flash of the Blades in it. And, um, Demons is the movie. Like I always think of Demons has so much music. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, um, but, like, this has some wild stuff. The Toto song in it is the whole reason there's a sex scene in this movie. The director loved Toto, and they met them at a, uh, a press conference, and he said, well, I'm making this movie. And he heard the song, and he said, well, this would be perfect for a love scene. <laughs> and he goes, and we didn't really have, maybe we're going to have a love scene we didn't know. He goes, but it makes sense, and it's a beautiful scene. It's a well-shot scene. It's, it's a
0: well-shot scene, but they literally played the whole song.
1: <laughs> I, the, he loved the song. I mean, you can imagine him in the theater being like, man. I also think the reason the Frankie goes to Hollywood songs in it is relaxes in body double. Mm. It's a long scene with a body double and they're actually mm-hmm. in it singing it. So I think that that's another reason. And then, um,
0: yeah, that, yeah that's, that's like another thing that makes them some body double similar to this.
1: Yeah. Hmm. And then the other band kissing the pink, uh, is really good. They're a really not well-known new waves band, but I really like their song. That's playing When they're in the, the disco scene, I have a weakness for any Italian movies go <laughs> to a disco. And like uh, and it's decadent within the disco. I kind of love it because like these places outside of Studio 54, like in my experience in my life, have never existed. I've never mm-hmm. been in a place like like this. Do you know what I mean?
0: Well, this, they like- just don't exist anymore, definitely. Yeah. but I mean, I yeah. guess I don't know. I've been to some European clubs that are a little cheesy. I don't know. they you know, they probably haven't been updated since 88. <laughs> yeah. It depends on, like, the type of dance club you're going to, but for sure. I mean, they, like, exist, but, again, in the 80s, they're just on such a different level.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the other crazy thing is the Huey Lewis song, In This Perfect World. I did way too much research, so I apologize. You can cut this out. But it was written by Alex Call, who's the same guy that wrote Jenny8675309. Um, From Jennifer's Body? In... Yeah. <laughs> and he was in Huey Lewis's last band, Clover, and that's the same band that played on Elvis Costello's album, My Name is True. Uh, which is crazy. Like, there's that song should not be as important as it is, but the scene that the Huey Lewis song plays in is absolutely insane. The costumes, the women are wearing balloons mm-hmm. behind them. They're on speedboats, and uh, the director said every single one of them was afraid for their lives because the boats had to move at a tremendous speed, and yeah. they had them rigged to the boats so that they wouldn't fly off. Yeah. Uh, and, and he said it took a lot of talking them into doing that scene.
0: Well, and it probably uh, took forever to shoot and set uh, up, and then but they didn't, It was just a short scene, you know. It's like yeah. a three minute scene.
1: My theory of this movie is like, I when I listen to your show, you're always like, well, let's talk about the murders. There aren't a lot of murders to talk about in this episode, so every time you would normally see a murder, insert music video. Mm-hmm. So like instead of like that's what the you know Argento has his murder set pieces. Piana has these like. There are set pieces like well, it's like
0: 40 Harrison. it's like 40 minutes before there was a murder well like, yeah. I mean I guess like there's the first like death but
1: yeah
0: yeah one of the girls was in um the black cat where she's in like just Franco's faceless but other than that like it's a lot of there are a lot of um French act actors and actresses Oh, you know what? There is uh, the person who plays Sylvia, who is the, the first model, the one that gets raped and killed. She was in Obsession, A Taste for Fear, which I know that you uh, have thoughts about. Cool.
1: Yeah, Florence uh, Grimm, I think is how you say her name, mm-hmm. who plays Melanie. She's also in Joe D'Amato's Top Model, which is an 11 Days, 11 Nights movie, a uh, nine and a half weeks for pop. She's in mm-hmm. that. She's in Matisse, Caligula and Miss Celine, and she's in Bizarre, which is another 80s Jalo Profumo or Bizarre, which is wild um and uh she's in another movie called homicidio a lucy blue which i'm looking for now um she's a woman who's hunting her brother's killer undercover as a sex worker like angel and david hess plays the cop that helps her from last house on the left and uh it's never come out in america i found hmm. a copy and i have it coming <laughs> nice. but uh it's it's about a criminal who castrates people with
0: grenades how they shot this i have no idea yeah it's how do know. you how do you do that
1: I think you leave it in their crotches when they're sleeping.
0: <laughs> I know, but how does someone survive that?
1: They don't, I guess. Yeah, they <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. David, who, uh, who is the uh, director, uh, Francois Eric Gendon, he's actually in an episode of Murder She Wrote. Um, he plays a French inspector. I watch way too much Murder She Wrote. My wife and I used to do a Murder She Wrote podcast. And if you love uh, genre cinema, like, murder sure the ticket because you're like oh john saxon's in this episode like everybody shows up Do you know yeah. what i mean if you yeah. love somebody they're gonna earn heart to heart too both of these shows because they had huge cast they're like nice. well, I, I guess let's get everybody in this
0: yes yeah, so i mean that happens with like a lot of um like kind of like genre television or you know even svu like the earlier episodes oh, yeah. you're like oh that actor is like now in like marvel movies he's like a superhero. <laughs>
1: Anytime we cast people for ads, they're like, well, I was in SBU." I'm like, yeah, you live in New York.
0: Everybody. Everyone was I, in SBU.
1: Everybody's been in SBU. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned Sylvia. That's Jolly Scola. She's also in Conquest, which is my favorite Forty movie. Um, it's really bad, but I love it. It's his barbarian movie, and Atlantis Interceptors, which is the first movie I ever rented. And I hated it, because I was like, what is this? Like, I didn't understand Italian cinema huh. at that time. But yeah, this movie has um, some the effects team is really well versed uh germano natali who did the, and there aren't a lot of effects but he did suspirious effects uh and Opera. he worked on a lot of argento stuff mm-hmm. so th- there's a, a lot of like a really good crew i think the really interesting thing about it is like it's just it looks gorgeous like and the sets look great all the sets were built these aren't like existing places they said they built 90 percent of the sets yeah and tore them down um
0: Well, the the interiors were done in Rome, and then the actual, like, exteriors, they were in, bringing it back to fashion. Yeah, filmed in Italy's fashion capital in Milan.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love that um, everybody smokes all the time, which is, my wife still smokes, and, like, she loves movies where people are smoking in a hot tub, which seems like really a bad idea. Like, they're all just, everybody, like, they're casual moments, people light up. It happens throughout.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Like I don't smoke, and I don't like being around cigarette smoke. But there's yeah. something about like the image of a cigarette, oh yeah, either photography or, or on film that just I don't know, kind of gives just a certain feeling.
1: <laughs> I like whenever they treat a cigarette where they do sound design, so when it's lit, it sounds like just <laughs> like an explosion when a cigarette's lit. You're like, oh man, that's the coolest cigarette. <laughs> I uh, how watching so many Clint Eastwood uh, Italian movies as a kid, did I not smoke
0: all the time? Like ah. Oh is cool. so cool. (laughs) Yeah. The uncoolest
1: thing in this movie, though, is the first, when we first see David in his house, he's playing that game on his Commodore 64.
0: The porno game?
1: Yeah. It's like, oh my God. Like, are, are we supposed to care about this guy at all after this? No. No, no, no. It's... I, I saw that, My I'm like, God, I can't believe I picked this movie to watch with you. Like, between, like, the, the hot tub scene and now this, like, oh, boy. And can't. I did,
0: I love, like, the fashion aspect. It's debatable, like, whether the film is, like, meant as a critique on, like, the fashion industry and, like, how vapid it is, or if the director just wanted scenes of, like, ladies in tight clothing. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. The first
1: movie, which I'll talk about later, definitely is a critique of fashion, and the book is based on definitely is. This is like, I don't, he's, I think he really likes to shoot beautiful women. Like the scene where, um, Melanie moves into the, um, her apartment, there's like a scene where they make a bed and even the bed making scene's sexy. Like, it's like the, the drape comes up in your face and you're like, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, he sexualizes (laughs) that, but then there's that buddy comedy answering the phone, the giant phone. (laughs)
1: show movies like we call movies furniture movies where like you want to live in the places in mm-hmm. in this and i can't wait for him we're gonna do this on the show and like the between the giant phone and then the inflatable chairs which seem uncomfortable they're not the practical
0: sky. and there's a cat there's a cat that lives there there's no way how right like
1: <laughs> i clean up fur non-stop these apartments look spotless and everything's inflatable yeah. And like, how did, how did they do it? Like, I realize yeah. it's moving, right? but like, that's where I had to suspend my belief. I would say though, the other thing too, that I learned from hearing the director talk is this is almost all shot with natural light, which really blows my mind. Like there's a lot of natural light. he said that Italian movies at the time really didn't use a lot of it. But he also said, I don't want to give a real sense to anything. Everything must be over the top. Everything must feel fake. You succeeded. You did it. Do you yeah. he definitely did it. But you said you know there aren't a lot of cat a lot of kill scenes, but the catwalk scene where the girls getting chased mm. across the catwalks mm-hmm. is how much did you love that scene? Oh my
0: gosh, I loved all the chase scenes. Too beautiful to die does feature a very memorable looking killer. The killer reveal and the mask is like a female face mask. There's a leather gloved killer that's complemented by a generic fashion model mask. It's nothing, nothing fancy and nothing like super memorable, but it's a really cool look. Film opens with four models wearing that same mask in that five minute sexy commercial on the lip sofa, (laughs) which I love. I'm like, like, this is really starting out very 80s and very on brand uh, for a music video. Very dressed to kill. It's a man wearing a woman's mask. There's like a lot that you could read into it, but maybe the director picked it because it just looked cool. Again, with like the eye candy versus is it really a commentary on fashion industry? Who knows? He wanted to look cool. Same with like the cinematography and the natural lighting. I don't know if it was that deep. The mask does a great job hiding the killer. Um, The mask could possibly be inspiration from a Grace Jones pop video in 1980 called Private Life. Apparently she wears a a mask or an outfit that looks very similar the book is actually in a Jalo
1: too. It's in the movie Obsession and Taste for Fear. It's the song on the soundtrack.
0: Maybe it's deeper than we're thinking, and we're not giving Dario as much credit as he deserves. Yeah. The second half of the movie really <laughs> turns up the giallo craziness uh, with a curved ornamental dagger and all of these really sharp weapons that are from set used in the fictional music video. Those become the weapons of choice for our killer With a runtime of 100 minutes, Too Beautiful to Die has a body count of six, including our killer. Great chase sequences. But a lot of the action doesn't really happen until like 40 minutes into the movie. I feel like the front half is kind of buffered by the music video and the sexy blanket pillow fights or whatever it is giant telephone giant telephone buddy comedy as far as the kills we have one female discovered dead with a bullet hole in her head after being missing for three hours after the party um this was the female that was raped and she drove away Um, this is what triggers the rest of the murders and also this triggers the new talent coming in this is the catalyst for a lot of stuff that happens in the movie there is a female killed inside an Iron Maiden on set. Her name was Leslie. And in typical Jalo logic, filming just continues the next day, even though someone died.
1: It's like stage fright. Let's just lock everybody in the building. The kill- We know the killer's here, but let's just lock everybody yeah, in.
0: Yeah, just stay put, but keep filming. Yeah. <laughs> keep filming. This third one, I wasn't sure if it actually happened or not the rapey old guy was stabbed did he die okay because i'm like i i wasn't sure if he actually died but i put him on my list anyway because i think he deserved it i would hope I hoped he died. <laughs> He deserved it yes yeah. our fourth kill is a female stabbed with an ornamental dagger and then she falls to her death at the film studio first big chase sequence and that was amazing i love that so much
1: that's the same stuntman that gets hit in the beginning uh by the bike that's angelo uh, ragusa And they said that that was a 70-foot fall he did for that
0: stunt. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. He's in uh, The Barbarians, uh, Atlantis Interceptors. He's in a ton. If you see any movies with biker gangs Mm -hmm. uh, in the 80s and from Italy, he's in them. He also did a lot of James Bond movies before he died. Spectre, Quantum of Souls. He was a pretty in-demand stuntman. But, um, yeah, that scene's amazing. And, like, how they lit behind them and, like, how you can see the killer coming between those glass things. Like, that's a fantastic like that makes the movie to me yeah like that's when i fell in love with this movie
0: yeah same great i mean the kills trace sequences, all really great um next we have i think this was the guy that was playing that porno video alex (laughs) conti yeah also deserved it stabbed with one of the daggers um and then lastly we have our killer after his big motive rant which is like so (laughs) (laughs) eye-rolly he gets shot by cops his motive kind of, eh, he wanted revenge for her rape, but in reality, it's that because he made her? I don't know. I just was, that was kind of problematic.
1: I wonder how much of that is the director itself, See how he helped this, his confession of how out of control you become, like, the God complex, like you said, of the director. Yeah. He also had an alternate ending that he storyboarded where Melanie was the killer, which makes even less sense. Like, why...
0: I, I the, don't know. The sister?
1: Yeah, the sister. Being
0: the so girl. I, I was very, very happy that that was not the ending because yeah. I would have been very disappointed. They were making it very obvious and trying to point you in her direction. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, you know, it takes a turn, whatever. This guy who really didn't act, I don't know, I don't, I don't really think he was like acting like a jerk throughout the rest of the movie sympathize with him um and then he turns out to be just like an asshole
1: (laughs) my theory is always especially in some job where they can't figure out who the killer is whoever the least likely person is like i will figure it'll just be
0: them yeah i would have been disappointed it was the person that was very very obvious that they were trying to lean towards
1: well especially after they reveal that she's the sister of the dead girl it's like
0: we've had a lot of coincidences Mm
1: -hmm. And, and like I realized that the first movie is about a brother and sister that are psychically connected in the fashion industry, but it's like, it's a little too much. Um, but here's me explain: <laughs> you can't really complain about the reveal of the killer or, or anything in a show. Like you're, you're set. I mean, the form itself demands, it demands the, the killer sometimes doesn't make sense. And it demands that the cops have no idea what they're doing. Oh yeah. And I always yelled during these movies, defund the Jollico police. They, they have no. Their police are blundering, in the guard's my favorite shallow title because it's so true. They they're, have no idea what
0: they're doing. They're so actually. incompetent always.
1: Yeah, and, so, <laughs> and then they always shoot the last guy at the end. Like, well, wait, maybe we could have talked to him and found out more. Like, you couldn't just knock him out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no. we had to shoot him from the, from the back. It's
0: funny Oh man. And what could be read right, as a meta approach? Too beautiful to die seems like an almost anti-thriller for the first forty minutes, um, with scenes that are just all style, no substance. Again, models on speedboats, that giant phone buddy comedy, uh, soft lit sex scene to a power ballad with saxophone. And it's not really in the thriller realm until 40 minutes in. Then the chase sequences and the kills come in, and they are fantastic. The director really creates a great atmosphere with his stylish cinematography, and he does maintain a level of suspense throughout the entire film. Like, yeah, it takes like a little bit of time to get there, but the original mysteries like kicked off in the beginning, and then it kind of meanders a bit, but he did it on purpose because he wanted, like, he wanted all of these shots. There's always a tense chase scene or a gory murder just around the corner to keep things interesting, and that, again, that's what really kept me into the movie. If all of these elements, like the, the music videos, the kills, the chase scenes, the suspense were spread more evenly throughout the film, I think this would have made a much better film, a less uneven viewing experience. But I still really much enjoyed myself and I'm really glad that I watched this one.
1: I really like it because I think once you've watched how so many jallo, right? Or jalot, however you want to say it, like and you watch them, it's like it's nice to have one that's like, Yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. Do you know what I mean? This movie does. It's very, like you said, you, you're, you've said almost everything, and you said it perfectly. But it's very style over substance, and it's gorgeous. And what's funny is, in the Italian reviews of this, they said it was an ugly movie. I have no idea what movie they saw because it's almost a movie devoted to being beautiful. Yeah. And then showing off the female form throughout the movie, like he's, this is what he wants to shoot, and um, but I like it, but then you're right it kind of has to remember what kind of movie it is versus the movie that it is the spiritual sequel to nothing underneath throughout the movie knows what movie it is it's very much i think you should watch that one and you're like oh this is the one that i thought i was getting you know what i mean uh
0: maybe the next episode is it would you consider it jalo
1: nothing underneath yeah i think it is uh it's but it has uh some supernatural elements because the Park Ranger, Bob, and his sister Jessica are psychically connected, which it's ripping off sisters. It's, okay. everybody's like, should we rip off Well, Well, let's, let's add it
0: window? to the list of one of the next movies you come back and talk about. Okay. Awesome.
1: <laughs> it's funny, because, like, I have this whole theory in my head, too, of, like, and I was thinking about it throughout this. I've been debating doing, like, a, a feature on my site and bringing different people in, you'll be invited, of, like, De Palma versus Argento, because they have so much in common. They're born the same year, They were married to their most famous leading lady. They both treated her poorly. They both had a huge beginning of their career taking Hitchcockian themes, making their own movies. And then near the end of their career, people are like, why don't they make movies like they used to? They were hated by the media for being anti-woman, too violent. And um, it's funny because then De Palma rips off, uh, you know, uh, Tenabre in in Raising Cain. The end of it, whenever the killer is revealed, is the same shot when the killer is revealed as Sennabre. And he's like, you sure he didn't see that? And uh, his wife, Nancy Allen, said that uh, she said that she tried out for Inferno and he was like, oh, you mm. shouldn't do that. He's really good. Yeah, that's and, an uh, insult. And I don't want, want you to be in his movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, that's, a, that's something to think about.
1: They're very close, though. It's like weird how and also
0: both very unexamined men like if you you've read the Argento book i assume right yeah i have it on my i have a couple yeah. on my bookshelf i've
1: never been i've never been to therapy i don't need it i just make my movies and you're like mm, maybe you should go to therapy
0: mm. yeah <laughs>
1: but then you wouldn't make such good movies you wouldn't make a movie about how much you think your first wife's killing you
0: and <laughs> i mean his movie have... his movies would be much more thought provoking <clears throat> i yeah. think if he went to therapy cuz then he would open up a whole the can of worms, box of thoughts. <laughs>
1: That's the artist side where artists are like if I go to therapy, my art will suffer. No, you'll be a little more normal, and you can still do art, but yeah. you won't like scare everybody with your art. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I know that we are both fans of like those late cycle '80s Jalo slashers or just slashers in general, which include this film. There's something about those movies really going for it in regards to style and music and the kills and just trying something different, which happened in this movie where he's like, okay, it has a base of a jalo murder mystery thriller, but I'm going to do something different and do the shots I want and make it look the way that I want. And I appreciate that so much. Um, that said, there is also the original murder mystery thriller mold. Sometimes it can be a little paint by numbers and that's something that we, you know you said like nice to have something a little different.
1: <laughs> it's like when you when you're taste testing beers or or cheeses, you like to have like a little water in between or like a cracker. So maybe this this movie will be the cracker for you. <laughs> yeah, so you can have a, a better vintage. At,
0: I know nice like movie. I can go back I can watch them like 70s and be like, okay, this is a nice change of pace. There are yeah. so many ripoffs of truly amazing thrillers like Blood and Black lace this being one of them, <laughs> um, which is, and this one is also sandwiched between two other thrillers that have a completely different vibe. Can you share more about this trilogy that includes too beautiful to die and the rarity of sequels within the Jallo subgenre?
1: The first movie was uh, nothing underneath. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce the Italian title of it, but uh, it was based on a book. I- I'll try Soto Il vestito Niete, uh, nothing underneath, nothing under the clothes, or nothing under the dress. And the original book was a big cause celebrity in Italy because people thought Armani or Versace wrote it uh, when it came out. Because so it was really super uh, brutal on models. There's a, a section in the book where uh, one of the people says to people who don't belong to the world of fashions, models may be a human being, but to me they're just things, objects. There, they stay where you put them. They don't move. They're dolls with child's minds. If you undress them, hoping to find the body of a woman, what do you find? Nothing underneath they're empty things. They're ephemeral. They're superficial. So Hmm. that's where the title comes from, which is wild. right? Yeah. That kind of speaks to the, like you said, the God complex and the, uh, misogyny of some of the characters in this. Uh, it was actually written by Marco Parma, who is not his real name. It was Paolo Pietroni, who was the editor of Amica magazine. And the Hmm. book takes place during the Prada Porte catwalk shows for the spring, summer, 84 season in Milan. So it's very much like there's an overdose of a model, uh, The author of the book is a character in it. He gets kidnapped. There's different people getting killed. When they made the movie, they got the rights to the the name of the movie, and they said, you know what, let's let's make a Dario Argento movie. So they hired a lot of Argento-ish people. It's more about a serial killer roaming the streets of Milan, killing models with scissors, Hmm. I guess, because scissors were hanging out
0: at the uh, the backstage. Yeah. Uh,
1: And meanwhile, in America, there's a park ranger who uh, is psychically connected to his sister. There's also a game of Russian roulette that goes wrong and kills one of the models. Her body gets disposed of kind of like, you know, a bullet hole in this one. The other thing that is, it's one of the most successful Italian thrillers of the 80s. Like, it was a huge movie. Um, And uh, Donald Pleasance kind of helps it because he plays an inspector. And there's this scene where he eats at at Wendy's, which is amazing. There's always scenes in, like, 80s Italian movies where, like, this is kind of America. Donald Pleasant's because he eats spaghetti <laughs> in a Wendy's. It goes on a long time. Donald Pleasant's never said no to a movie, which is probably why I love him so much. Um, the same director who did a Carlo Benzina also made Mysterio, which has Carol bouquet. who was in free rise only and was the face of Chanel number no. five. So he really knows fashion. So yeah. that movie is way more about the fashion industry. Um, and it's, there's actually fictional designers in it that are supposed to be Armani and Versace. So originally, uh, Michelangelo Antonini was going to direct it, and Charlotte Rampling and Terrence Stamp are going to be the leads, which is crazy. That would never happen. Like it's shallow movies. Like as much as we love them, like weren't always big box office. This movie mm-hmm. was, but it was hard to convince people to do yeah. it. Yeah, you know. But it's written by Franco Ferrini, who did uh, did Phenomena, Demons, The Church, Dark Glasses, the recent Argento movie, and uh, It's Who Have You Seen? That? I think that's another movie you dig. It's a kind of like Black Swan. Uh, the, it's the on the my it's form. on my list it's on your list yep. yeah i think you'll love it
0: yeah
1: originally it was gonna have a gun in it and uh they're like why would we have a gun in a it's like you can't have a gun in a slasher or, mm-hmm. or a and the uh, killer there is a definite uh, lgbtq element also like this one to the killer um nope really the connection between these two movies is they have beautiful women in them <laughs> and, the, and the name and that's really about it but it's wild because i talked to troy howarth about this and i said. You know, Italy is based on this world of sequels. I mean, how many zombies are there? There's Shocking Dark is Terminator 2. Uh, you know, Night Killer is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 in Italy. It, uh, Don't Open the Door 3. Like, it's... Italy's a the culture, the exploitation industry is based on sequels. And he said a lot of times the genre directors were artists and they didn't really want to make another movie, you know, another sequel. And the really, the, mo- the movies were so self-contained and it felt like there was no reason to uh, kind of have a sequel to them. Uh, and like mostly the only ways that they did sequels, the major actors weren't really keen on doing them, but they were, were more keen on doing a similar style. So that's why, you know, we have like Martino used the same rotating cast of his characters of George Hinton and, you know, uh, and and Edwidge in his movie. So they were the selling point. The actors mm-hmm. were way more than the story that they were in. Yeah. So
0: I think there's a third
1: one of this, which unfortunately I I went crazy to find it. I ordered it from Italy. I was like, when I found out that it was out, I'm like, I can't believe someone would make a third one. Franco Ferrini wrote it as well. The Vanzani brothers wrote it with him, and Carlo directed it, who did the original one. Richard E. Grant's in it, and he plays a fashion stylist. He's trying to. He's at the Milan fashion festival. I'm like, man, this is going to be awesome. Like, it's very similar to the first one. It's not. It's uh-huh. really slow. Is it
0: from the 2000s?
1: 2011, yeah. The only good thing about it is it has Telephone by Lady Gaga in it, which I was, like, shocked when it came up. I was like, what?
0: I don't know if she knows about that. That might be illegally in this movie.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Murder Rock, which you should get to that, too. Full-cheese Murder Rock, uh, was going to be a trilogy before he got sick with Killing Samba and Thrilling Blues. 100% would watch all these movies, but only Murder Rock was made. And the card player was originally the sequel to The Stendhal Syndrome, they couldn't work it out, unfortunately. I love the card player. I don't know why. When Godwin played here, they did like their, their, um, their encore. They came out, and it was almost Pittsburgh. It was almost all dawn at the dead set, right? Yeah. They came out, and the logo for the card player came up, and I literally jumped out, and I see my wife's like, you're the only person that gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was so excited. Um, there, there is one other set of sequels. Um, and they are the Schoolgirls in Peril trilogy, which is like the Models in Peril. But what have you done to Solange? What have they done to your daughters? And Rings of Fear. Again, these movies aren't really sequels. They're all, you know, Met, uh, Massimo Dalmano did the first two. He died before he could direct the third one. Are
0: those, um, I know they, they're not um, like really, they're just like spiritual sequels. Those three yeah. for the the daughters trilogy. Yeah. Are they all equally as like brutal? Or are they kind of in the same tone as the first one?
1: I would say the first one is way more brutal. Okay. Um, they, it's weird because they also uh, the first two are not, not full jallos. like I think the first one because it was made with Rialto Films and it's a German co-production. It's very much a, a crimmy as much as it's a Jalo. Like it really feels like it could be Edgar Wallace is in between these two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the second one is more plesioteco and than a Jalo. Okay. And it even has a killer with a motorcycle helmet, like strip nude for your killer. So it's it comes out before that. Really wild thing though, and this blows my mind about uh, uh, what have you done to Solange? It was released under twenty names in America. The worst being the Raw Raw Girls. It was sold as a teen comedy. Have you seen this movie? Is it a teen comedy?
0: Mm-mm. No.
1: And it was uh, also released as the case. Of the uh, it was released with Sex on the Groove tube which is really uh, the case of the full moon murders. Also not a comedy Mm -hmm. also released as blood relations by Hallmark releasing the company that would always do. It's only a movie posters like last house on the left. And then American international also sold it is terror in the woods. There's not really a lot of woods and there's a little bit. We're on the riverside and who's next. Also the school that couldn't scream is another name. And it was released with last house too, which is Bay of blood, a movie that came out six years before last house on the left. Um, and it, also, they said that it was based on a true story. That comes up a couple times in, uh, in Solange. But
0: I mean, I'm yeah. sure some, you know, the things that happened in that movie, yeah, they happened in real life. But it's not, oh, yeah, that's a rough one.
1: Also, it played at our drive-in when they did the drive-in show. And there was an entire family next to me of kids um, from probably like 9 till 15. Oh my gosh. And I walked over and I said, this first movie is not a Friday the 13th movie. It's a really rough adult movie. Uh, well, my kids can handle it in 10 minutes and they drove away. It's, it's rough. I mean, mm-hmm. also, Joe D'Amato's the cinematographer for it, so you can tell that the shots get really good whenever they go into the showers. Speaking of smoking, it's the only movie I've ever seen where someone smokes in the shower. Like, all those <laughs> girls are just like standing in the shower smoking. Like, what what is going on <laughs> with this movie? The third one, Enigma Russo, Red Rings of Fear, it, uh, is, it's very Twin Peaks. They find a body of a girl wrapped in plastic and uh, Fabio Testi plays the inspector that has hmm. to figure out there's a whole clique of girls called the Inseparables uh, who are like a super mean girls kind of clique. And uh, one of them did it, potentially. But okay. Um, it's okay. It's It would have been better if uh, Dalmano had been alive and could have done the full vision of it. But it's so weird that this movie was sold, you know, Solange was sold as a teen comedy. It was sold as a real-life story. It was sold as so many different movies. And then also that Solange would end up being in another incredibly rough movie. Camille Keaton is obviously in I Spit on Your Grave, too. Yeah. It's also sold in England as The Curse of the Green Pin, uh, because that's the name of the Edgar Wallace story that it's based on. I love when they're like, it's it's an Edgar Wallace story. It's the name of an Edgar Wallace mm-hmm. story. It doesn't have anything to do with Edgar Wallace. That
0: happens all the time. Like, I, especially with Jala, like, I'll, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll look, do some research, and it's like, oh, it's based on, like, this book, and then... I come to find out it's like complete, it's just the name or it's just a character's name and it's just rewritten for, for the screenplay.
1: <laughs> I love that he wrote King Kong too, so could King Kong also be a Shalo? <laughs> Do
0: you have any movies or books or anything that you would pair with Too Beautiful to Die?
1: Oh man, I have a bunch. I'm going to really try to be limited because I get excited. The 80s, this cycle of shallow is very non explored in the US. Luckily vinegar syndrome has been doing their forgotten set and they've been releasing a lot of these, but for years, a lot of these, actually a lot of these aren't available. outside of you hunting them down on the internet? But the first one is bizarre, AKA perfumo. And it has Florence Guerin in it. It is scummier than this movie, if possible. Mm. But she's a woman who's haunted by a lover who, uh, is really violent. And she's, they have a kind of like a dominant submissive relationship. She tries to get away from it, gets a new lover who she becomes in charge of, um, but this lover keeps coming back even after she potentially kills him. Uh, there's a Russian roulette as foreplay in it. It's really good, it's really beautifully shot. She's better in this movie than she is in that. Uh, uh, Dial Help is the second movie. I don't know if it's a Jalla, but man, it has Charlotte Lewis from The Golden Child, who was The Golden Child. Um, she's a model who's just broken up with her boyfriend, and she gets connected to an abandoned Lonely Hearts phone line, which is populated by the dead souls of all the former operators that have been killed there. Whoa. And all the telephones in Rome are possessed by these dead souls. Um, there's a scene where a, a payphone kills a, uh, guy trying to attack. What is that one called? Dial help. It's redact, uh, Rigueiro Diodato directed it. Um, it's, it's that like last, like, uh, gasp of Italian exploitation. He did that in the washing machine one after the other. Mm. my best, highest recommendation. You knew I would do this one, but obsession of taste for fear is a movie. I try to get everyone to watch, uh, it has Jella Scola, who is in this movie. She plays a uh, – she's in a, and there's a fashion photographer named Diane, who, whose favorite model and lover, Tegan Clive, who was in The Alienator. She's a really big American Gladiators-looking woman. Uh, shows up bound and dead, just like all the adult photos that she shoots. So the kind of guys will wear Mars, very. Um, but it's a really wild movie because everybody wears sunglasses day or night. Every, everything looks like an Argento movie. It's the only movie that uh, the director did, Pasio uh, Raffiani. Um, softcore porn photographers are the biggest celebrities in this strange world. The cops have laser guns and their cars can fly. It wants to be Blade Runner or makes it with an Argento movie. At no time in the movie are you ever told that you're in the future. Like All of a sudden, it just <laughs> speaks up on you when cars fly in and uh, Grace Jones is on the soundtrack like I said and Kid Creel from yeah. the band Kid Creel and the Coconuts is in it for some reason he's in a bunch of Italian movies I think he was on tour at this time and they're like let's get Kid Creel people know him in the US nobody knows him he's in one of the Lombardo movies for uh, Canon um, the, the two split when Canon split but he's in it um, but it's really good and it's really weird supposedly Vinegar Syndrome is putting it out this year that's my dreams I've had a bootleg that is really beat up for a long time and it's one of those movies where I'm like uh, you know like when they do these sales, you're like, It's gonna be the worst time, like when I have no money and they're like, Hey, here's a box set like for here's a two hundred fifty dollar black and box set like Severin did, you're like, would you like to buy it all at once? Like, could we like parse these payments out?
0: <laughs> Can you, <laughs> you send me like, one so at we, a time? <laughs> yeah. Could we do like a
1: Columbia Records kind <laughs> of thing where I sent you a penny and you send me these and And then you, and do, it under, you do it like, under you do it under
0: a fake name and then you just never yeah.
1: And the one that the movie that I wanted to bring up to you and I probably brought it up to you before is fellow day, which is an animated movie about cats, but it's a shallow and it's wild. It's like, uh, it's very violent though. Is a warning. There's cat death, but the cats are humans in it. Uh, and it's, it's really good. Um, and again, a movie that was dubbed into English never came out in the U S uh, it was sold worldwide, but for some reason, I guess in America we have this theory that cartoons aren't for only for kids. So, uh, but you know, you sometimes have a kid around, so maybe this is one to watch when, when your partner's, uh, she, she'd be really, really into
0: good. that too. Cause she is into cats.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's really good. Um, but those are the ones I would pair with this. There's a ton more eighties. Like Arabella Black Angel is another awesome one that is again, super dark, super scummy. It's on Tubi, which blows my mind. I'm going to.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot, because this is going to lead into my one Flavor of the Month pick, because I had, again, with you, I was just like, oh, I was pulling all of these, like, cool, like, 80s movies. I was like, nope, I'm just going to do one. Okay. For my Flavor of the Month pick, a sequel that I would love to happen. Is there a movie that you would like to see a sequel to that does not have a sequel?
1: Um, Oh. Doesn't have to be
0: Jalo, can be literally anything.
1: Yeah, uh, Joe Damato's Endgame. It's my favorite post-apocalyptic movie. Uh, it's got um, uh, Al Cliver from Zombie in it, and George Eastman. It's Running Man made six years before Running Man, um, and it has Laura Gemser as a psychic woman, <laughs> and uh, who is, it's like a there's a game show going on. They're trying to rescue these psychic orphans. Uh, there's mutants. It's wild. Like it's George Eastman wrote it as well, and like the end of it ends with like the, supposedly the final battle between the two of them. And uh, it's like, man, they could have made 20 of these movies. It's like the best Italian post-apocalyptic movies. It realizes that it should just be a Western and yeah. not a uh, – in with cars instead of horses. But it's really good. What, awesome. what, what, I'm interested to see what yours would be, if you could make a sequel. All right. So
0: mine movie. is – picking up a sequel that I would love to happen that has not happened. It's a 2014 movie called The Guests. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I would love to see The Guests 2. The, when The Guest came out, it didn't have a huge theatrical turnout back in 2014, but it's become a, a caught hit, and I, I love that film so much. Much like myself, many fans are like anxiously awaiting a return to see what's next for Dan Stevens, who plays the lead character, um, or anyone in the world of uh, man-made killers. Adam Wingard's The Guest was written by Simon Barrett, and it essentially mashes together Halloween and Terminator- actually a Halloween set movie, but it's kind of an action movie. Adam Wingard had teased some ideas for a follow-up to The Guest and diving deeper into the story, you know, a couple years back. Recently, the writer Simon Barrett chimed in on the sequel, sequel rumors, and he tweeted, I think we finally landed on an idea that excites us and wouldn't disappoint everyone, but it won't be soon. Lots of work on it first. He says this because The Guest had a sort of sequel this time last year, in the form of a soundtrack. Fake the Guest Two soundtrack. It was, yeah, it was an official follow-up project that took the form of a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't actually exist. The album was a gift to fans, and it also was released on April Fool's Day of last year, but it physically, physically exists. You can purchase the Guest Two official soundtrack on vinyl Mondo, Lakeshore Records, Mondoshop.com. I have a pre order and I should have it next month or two. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so if you are at all interested in a sequel to The Guest, you can buy The Guest 2 original soundtrack on vinyl and then you can just harass Simon Barrett on Twitter. Um, ask him, you know, when are we going to have the sequel? think also the 80s esque synth soundtrack is um, a good pairing with the sexy 80s score and pop soundtrack of Too Beautiful to Die. 80s vibes for sure. And you can rent the guests everywhere on demand. I love that movie so much.
1: <laughs> I, I really like that movie, especially because the Halloween 3 masks show up in this before anyone was super into Halloween 3, this mm-hmm. like recent thing. Mm-hmm. It showed up like, oh wow, this guy. Because there's always movies where people are like, oh, it's like a John Carpenter movie. Like, that movie is... It gets it right. Not
0: just Mm -hmm. the the score.
1: It gets everything.
0: Yeah, the tone. What's your favorite
1: sequels? Like, I'm interested... Because I just did a week of sequels. Um, I'm
0: obsessed with movies that
1: people don't know that there's
0: a sequel to. Oh, my gosh. Like, Poison
1: Ivy 2 and and, uh, American Psycho 2 and stuff like that.
0: I mean, obviously, I love the Scream movies. I mean, my favorite sequels of one is four. Um, I liked six that just came out. I've watched it a bunch. I think that it's, like, the most gritty of all the sequels so i would definitely say like those sequels i love i love the original and i also love a few of the sequels man that's a tough question my wife
1: is obsessed with sequels more than the original movies so like as a kid she rented halloween 2 all the time and like that's her favorite movie of all time like our first the first time i ever stayed at her house she left it we fell asleep watching it and that's what was on in the music just kept coming back and playing and I realized like halfway through it I'm like she knows this entire movie like word-for-word word. Like, yeah even now like we have the Mondo set of all the music and like I'll just play the music and she'll just start doing the dialogue it's it's amazing <laughs> that's my favorite one because it's so jollo. like it has yeah the elevator sequence is just like strange vice and it has like the uh, whirlpool murder that shows up in a couple other movies like it has a lot of uh, a lot it feels like very Italian yeah and very mean spirited that's why I like it mm. it's just I I'm always obsessed with, like, how do you take... I really like unconnected sequels, too. This is probably why I like Too Beautiful to Die. Like, Prom Night 2 is a billion times better than Prom Night. Uh, I really love uh, Prom Night 2 because it's just such a weird idea, you know. And I actually like all... I like all four of them, but two is in my heart. And, like, the Mirror Mirror movies are crazy. Like, who would make four of those? Somebody would.
0: I like all of the the Elvira movies. And I think those are kind of... Spiritual-esque sequels because they're not like following a linear <laughs> trajectory. Yeah.
1: They just are. They're very much like around her, yeah. Right, and then like uh, I love the idea that in the nineties two- and two thousands, this is when I was finally had my own. You know, when I was out of college and I was could rent whatever I wanted and wasn't living with my parents. It's like every movie that came out on home video was a sequel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It was like these shot in the Eastern Bloc.
0: weird sequels sequels. and they were like pumping out sequels like you'd have a movie and then a year later you'd have a sequel
1: i didn't know there were four wishmaster movies for example do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. there's four of those how many witchboard movies are there and it's like man it's like it's mind-blowing of how many there are and then so this is my ocd kicks in and i'll do a week of these Like, i'm gonna watch all the uh what's the one where they come out of the toilet
0: uh ghoulies
1: (laughs) ghoulies i watched all four ghoulies in uh, like the same day, you don't ever do that.
0: To did you hear that like they're doing a, a Witchboard remake? I'm 100 percent into that. It was a whole and it was announced like it was announced like three days after Joe Bob. Oh, so I'm like, did I someone really watch? Witchboard. Do it's, you like that? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I love that the, the guys are really in love with each other and not Tawny Katane. <laughs> like they should just they should just marry each other. They
0: totally are. <laughs> when they were at the in the hotel room, I'm like, they're yeah. totally gonna make out, right? Is that what that's going to happen? They should,
1: because then they wouldn't get killed. Like, their lives would be infinitely better mm-hmm. if this would happen.
0: Yeah.
1: I container. No, I, mean, I was a child in the 80s. I'm, <laughs> I under, I understand. Like, I'm not made of stone, right?
0: Sam, is there anything you would like yeah. to plug or promote while I have you on this episode?
1: You can come to my site, uh, which is B&S About Movies. It's from my wife and I's name, Becca and Sam. B&S About Movies. Or Bands About Movies. Uh, Alan Arkish was like, what's this band's about movies? And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't want to explain it to you. <laughs> um, and then every Saturday uh, we are on uh, YouTube and uh, Facebook live for showing movies. Uh, and uh, you can check, um, you know, look me up, Sam Panico on any social media or BNS spot movies. I'm on there. And I always plug your, your show too. Whatever. I always talk about it on our show because I love listening to it. I was so excited to find it because it's nice having people talk this intelligently you speak way more intelligently than me about these movies and really put a lot of thought into them. So I really like how you kind of break them down and you have the structure for them. So it's really nice. Uh, Thank you. a lot of people t- talking. There should be more people talking about them. So I really appreciate that you Thank do. Thank you.
0: Well, and you know, and you know, like, like the, I always try to do a first time watch and, like, sometimes I'm yeah. pleasantly surprised, sometimes I'm not. I've been surprised recently when after I've started doing, like, some research on a film, like, I come back around to, uh, like, Murder Obsession. And eh, when I watched it, I thought it was pretty boring. And then after I saw all the religious allegories and, and symbolism, I was like, oh, this is actually, like, kind of cool. It's fun.
1: That's what I like think, deep thinking on movies. Like, there's an delirium portraits of Gloria that Lombardo Bava did I never really liked it the first couple times I watched it and then I learned like Argento passed it up and the reasons he passed it up and I was like oh I should rewatch this is what if Argento did this mm-hmm. and I was like oh it's like so maybe I like what it is more than what it could be more than what it is but sometimes that's how you see movies and it's also I always feel like sometimes I watch something and I'm just not in the right mood for it so I save certain movies where I'm like I need to I need me time, and I need to be right in there. Like, that's kind of what I'm doing with, you talked about seeing Evil Dead earlier. It's like, I want to see it, but, like, I want to be in the right mindset where I can devote my energy to it and not be like, and it's demons too. Like, I don't want to be like that. I want (laughs) to enjoy it for what it is.
0: I think if you just go in knowing it's, like, mindless and that all the characters are really dumb, don't read the Latin, don't play a record backwards, stop making stupid decisions, then you'll maybe enjoy it. (laughs)
1: My favorite slasher of all time is Trick or Treat. So uh, with playing records backwards with Sammy Kursa, which is finally coming out on Blu-ray. So it's like, I'll probably like that part of it. I grew up in the era where we ruined all our records playing it backwards. And (laughs) it didn't work. And I I
0: wonder why you were in the counselor's office during the Satanic Panic.
1: 100%. (laughs) Trick or Treat is my life at 16 years old. I am Ragman the character in it that that hates everybody. Everybody like hates the music he listens to. He's put upon by by all these like more popular people and he Glenn Danzig was my Sammy Kerr, right? Like uh especially like that's when Sam
0: Hayne was out and when he was
1: like mm-hmm. at his darkest. And I was like, man, someday I'll be in a band like Sam Hain and I've tried. Uh but you know <laughs> that's I love that movie. The other thing I wanted to plug, I forgot, is uh anything Visual Vengeance puts out, we are on the com Billner on the commentary track for um Suburban Sasquatch, which is a really fun movie uh, that is shot on video and it is about a suburban Sasquatch um, that can teleport and is trying to get people we're encroaching into his world by building subdivisions out into the suburbs. So he's here to kill people. We, I have done five other movies for them. None of them are announced yet. So I can't say the names of them, but man, they're all awesome. And that's a great label because not only do you get the movie, you get like a video store card, you get stickers, you get like tons of extras. And these are movies that like nobody's, some of the ones that we've done for them, maybe three people have talked about them on IMDb. So these are like super yeah, um, discovered movies. And like, uh, the fact that they put like Criterion collection level care into these movies for movies that maybe cost $500 to make, um, is really wild for one of the movies. I'm not going to say which one, cause I don't want the director to get mad. We got paid $4 more than the budget of the movie to do no. the commentary track. So, so that's pretty rad, but if, there's been a lot of inflation in yeah. the last couple of years, so yeah. But I really love working for them, doing stuff for them, and that was my dream, was to do commentary tracks on DVDs uh, and Blu-rays, and like the chance to... And especially to do this, Like I love doing stuff like this, because it's like, man, if I can get somebody to watch dial Help, or Too Beautiful to Die, or Obsession of Taste of Fear, even if they don't like it, like I feel like I've done something because like it's, like, it's a big... And I love sharing these things and talking through them, and that's why I love your show. I have one other question for you, because I've been thinking about this. <laughs> sure. who If, if you were baking a Jalo Prom, who would be your king and queen of, of the prom?
0: Definitely Edwidge would be the queen. I mean, like, I, there's just, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about her, and I feel like she's, like, the least deranged of all of the queens. Yeah. Um... And she's just so beautiful. I mean, come on. Like, she's beautiful. She Man. still is today. Yeah. I, yeah, oh, I know. Am my king? I don't know. Could I do two queens? You can do two queens. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. What's the lady from Perfume of a Lady in Black? And she's in, I think, Footprints in oh, the Moon. yeah uh, Mim- Mimsy Farmer. Yeah, Mimsy Farmer. I, feel, I mean, she does, she's got the deranged... But she switches it up occasionally. She switches it up. And I think she's like a low key, maybe lesser known Jello Queen. Uh yeah, two queen yeah, que- yeah Jallo I'm always talking about Jallo Queen. So yes, two queens.
1: Barbara Boucher's up there too though. She's Oh yeah. Amazing. When my wife and I were initially dating, we went to a theater and we saw Blood and Black Lace in Italian I'm a great date, right? The first night. And then the <laughs> second night was uh Don't Torture Duckling and that was the first time I ever saw it. And Barbara Boucher is like incredible in that movie like she's so good in it she's great in everything that she did but I remember mm-hmm. the first time I saw it I was like wow like she's like like perfect everybody's great in that yeah movie, though. yeah um, I actually wore an Ed weed shirt for the, the yes. show I wore a uh, strange vice I love it
0: no that's yeah, a great all one the
1: letters that uh, Ivan Rushmoff sent her I love uh, it in it that's the first uh blu-ray I ever bought of uh Jalo was uh your vice uh, and then I, I got Strange Fights after, and I was like, these movies are unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, who wears paper dresses to a party and gets in a fight? <laughs> the week is the best. Like, I was we just talking on our show the other day about the end of um, All the Colors in the Dark, where she's on the roof and she's like, I want to go back to where I was. Like, I'm afraid of who I am now. Like, the end of that movie, like, she's great at the end of it. Like, I believe everything she's doing mm-hmm. at the end of it, even dubbed. Like, uh, she's just like. I don't know, there's never been anyone that like owns the screen in these. Yeah, movies. she. I
0: was about to say she like captivates every scene she's in. She has such a presence about her, and like, and not only like, is she beautiful, but she just commands a scene that she, every scene that she's in. It's distracting, to be frank. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and she's just wonderful. And it's funny because uh, one of my friends uh, just interviewed uh, Sergio Martino, and he was like, he talked about like how he wanted to present her as such a strong woman woman within these movies mm-hmm. and like, and how she had, it, you know, she was the center of these movies and it's pretty amazing. Cause it, you know, it was, I'm Italian, so I can say this, like Italians are very misogynistic and very like old fashioned. Not all of them, but you know, it's very much like, Oh, it's a men's job and these kind of things, mm-hmm. you know? And for a woman to be the lead of these movies is, is kind of amazing. especially at the end of strange vice, where she walks down that high, spoiler if you've never seen a 50 year old movie, when she walks down the highway <laughs> on a
0: Jalo oh, podcast, oh,
1: <laughs> yeah you've seen it everybody's seen it. But like when she walks down the highway and she's the survivor like it's like wow like it's like you want to stand up and cheer yeah like it's like she's so perfect
0: yeah so for Joll of the month club you can follow on letterboxd follow the list titled Joll of the month club for every movie reviewed on this podcast including too beautiful to die your vice is a locked room and only Lay i have a key perfume of lady in black a lot of Jollo that we mentioned on this episode. <laughs> uh, you can also follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jallo Club for all of the Jollo goodness that you can handle. I've also been tweeting on Friday nights for Joe Bob because I just feel like it's a little bit more interactive if I'm live tweeting. Logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Vegan Patches Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Theme music is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. And you can follow myself, Diana, your host, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. If you follow on Letterboxd, you will know what Jolo is next because I always log what I watch, but I wait to review it until after the episode comes out. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for being here. I feel like we could just talk for like another hour about all of the things. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us in this dive into a 1988 Jalo slasher. As always, I'm your host, Diana Koch. Sam Panico, thank you so much.